Hey, y'all, I'm Mary Payne Gilbert, and this is my podcast, Pain in the Pod. Okay, friends, today I have a very unique podcast to talk to you about. It's called Their Own Devices. This podcast talks very candidly about the tech world our teens are living in. And I'll be honest, I'm very tech savvy and I know all the apps and all the tricks, but this podcast has scared the shit out of me. The podcast, Their Own Devices, features two experts, Mark and David, who happen to be married and raising a teen of their own. So Mark Groman is here today to chat with me. Mark, Thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. It is awesome to be here. Okay, what a ride this podcast has been for me as a parent of teenagers. The the tech world's a pretty scary place, right? It can be, absolutely. So first tell me about your background and your husband's background to sort of get my listeners into understanding where you're coming from. Okay, well, if you ask our son who's a teenager, um, our backgrounds make us the worst nightmare parents uh, in history. So I am a privacy and technology expert, cybersecurity and surveillance. Uh, most recently, I served as the senior advisor on privacy in the Obama White House for a couple of years. Wow. Working on all the issues you can imagine in the West Wing, everything from encryption policy to data collection, autonomous vehicles, drones, and the full range. Uh, Before that, I worked in Congress. I was the CEO of a trade association, but I've been in this space for about 18 years. Um, And for me, just watching my son and his friends engage with technology and digital content was just eye-opening. And David, my co-host and partner, uh, is an associate professor at Georgetown University Medical Center. He is a top expert in the field of adolescent medicine and teenage development. And so he sees teenagers, you know, as, as patients and parents. And he started telling me how every day, all day, issues around technology were surfacing in the medical exams. You know, whether it was into questions about gaming or screen time, addiction, problematic media use. And the parents were constantly concerned. And yeah. he was observing changes in behavior. Yeah. So he comes at it from that perspective. I had the tech perspective. We're raising a teen. And we were just watching these issues play out in our own home, uh, in my professional world, in the uh, medical clinic, um, and then among, you know, our son's friends. Well, you are a perfect pair, I think, to discuss these topics. I mean, really, you couldn't have come up with a more perfect pair to discuss it. So when did the two of you decide, like, you know, we're going we're gonna to take our expertise together and we're going to make a podcast? This was totally accidental. Okay. Right? So we're approaching this still uh, as a hobby, but one that has really taken off. Yeah. But the truth is, this started with a PTA meeting. And so we were asked to speak at a PTA meeting by the president of the PTA. The truth is, you never say no to the president of the PTA at <laughs> school. Like you could say no to the president of the United States, but you never decline anything from PTA president. So we were two panelists that night on this large panel about issues regarding tech and teens. Turns out the other panelists did not show up. So you were the only two panelists. So it's Dave and I on stage. The other panelists were not there. We hadn't really prepped. We had, our, And we had the whole, I guess, 90 minutes. And so we sort of um, improvised and did a presentation. Um, and we engaged the audience. But we also, as married couples do, we argued a little bit. We disagreed. We brought different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And at the end, like we had a line of people saying, you just got to do this. Yeah. Like I learned a lot. I was entertained because no one wants to be lectured to. I don't. No. No one wants to be told you're doing it wrong. It's about having a conversation, feeling like you're at my kitchen table and we're all talking. We're all parents. 
God, and you know what we do? We are really honest about our own mistakes. Sure. No one's got this nailed down. No. You know, I've told uh, a lot of parents, a lot of people, basically, that they need to listen to this podcast because what I hear a lot of in my world is that parents say, it's my kid would never do that. And I, on the other hand, always assume the worst, and I always think my kid would do that. And when y'all are talking to the kids that you have as guests mm-hmm. on your podcast, I have heard them say more than once, Every kid does it. And basically they're saying there's nothing parents can do. And what do you think it is about technology that makes the kids so bold? I mean, we've seen it in the current White House. We've seen it with trolls on the Internet. You're hiding behind a screen. But what is it about kids who can put this information out there and then go and see the person that they said that to or did that to or requested a picture from the next day in class? Like, what makes them so bold? Okay, so there were a lot of questions there. (laughs) And so, um, and I think they were all really important. So I'd love to unpack a few of the things you said. Okay, thank you. One is, you talked about how parents mostly think, not my kid. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm more like you. It's like... If he hasn't yet, he's going to do it. Right. Right. So I, I take that approach. But it is interesting, you know, and particularly in the area of sexting, which is difficult to talk about. It is controversial. No parent wants to envision their kid at age 13 taking a picture of themselves naked and sending it. Right. Every parent I've spoken to says, not my kid. Every child, every kid I've ever spoken to says, yeah, I'm doing it. Or I know all my friends do it. Right. So there's an example of just this enormous disconnect. Yes. And one of the things we're trying to do with the show, we're not trying to make every parent a technologist. Uh, that's not what it's about. But I, I really want parents to really understand how kids and teenagers are using technology and start to think about things differently. We think of this world in terms of like the online world, the offline world. Teenagers don't. It's just one world. Mm-hmm. The other thing parents are not appreciating is that we think of our devices as communication tools, right? It's for texting and calling and Googling, whatever. For teens, it is fully part of teen culture in a way that we don't appreciate. Mm-hmm. And so we re- and I should mention that every third or so episode, we, in- we bring on teenagers as our guests. So we have a mixture of authors and experts and parents, but hearing from teenagers is just like the best part. And they're always the most fun episodes mm-hmm. because they explain how they see it. Yes. And we were talking to these kids about partying. Look. I'm not going to sit here and tell you when I was an angel in high school. I broke a few rules, maybe even a law or two, but we didn't have social media. These kids explain that when they go to parties, that if you are not on Snapchat while at the party and snapping, you may as well not be at the party. I couldn't believe that. They said it didn't happen. That's right. It didn't happen. So why go? So it is as integral as being social and going to a party as is dancing, talking, or drinking. Which we're not, we, we are not getting, but we have to understand it's that much part of their culture. As far as being bold, I'm not sure bold is even the right term because, and this is, I'm going to sort of have to channel David here. Okay. Because I'm the tech guy. I am not the <laughs> adolescent guy. And, and I'm sorry you got me because David is much nicer. <laughs> Everyone tells you that. Um, it's true. He's warm. He's fuzzy. He's a pediatrician. I'm a former federal prosecutor. So in any event... What train was I on? What, if why, why do they seem so bold okay. when they have to go to school Channeling and see the David. person the next day? So what we have to appreciate that teenagers, right, middle adolescents, 12 to 16, 17, right, their they're frontal lobe, they're just not really developed. And so teenagers are programmed to take risks and not calculated risks. They're just programmed to take risks. They don't understand consequences. They don't understand, in particular, 
long-term consequences. Mm-hmm. It's about instant gratification. Yes. And it's about finding themselves. It's about making mistakes and learning consequences. That's what teenagers do. That's what they've always done. Yes. So that kind of adolescent, juvenile, risk-taking, stupid behavior, which I may or may not have done at 16, mm-hmm. right? That's been there. So what happens now when you hand that group a supercomputer that fits in the palm of their hand that is connected to the internet 24-7 and has dozens of sensors, including cameras and, you know, the ability to take video, um, not to mention the access to, like, all these apps, right? It truly is um, a recipe for disaster unless adults and parents engage with our kids and teach them to the extent we can, you know, the proper ways to use these devices. I think one of the mistakes we made sort of as a generation of parents is like kind of viewing a lot of this as toys. And so my kid turns 10, you know, or Merry Christmas, here's, you know, your uh, iPhone 10, your iPhone X, right? Uh-huh, right. And you hand it over because it's a toy, it's a gift, um, and, and it's you say, And you say it's Wi-Fi only and they can't do this and they can't find that because they have to be in Wi-Fi. But now we know that, I mean – they can get they can get anything they want anytime and like you were saying earlier like parental controls are great but they really are for kids who are going to respect it and not try to find six workarounds like you know allegedly well, like children my, in my know, house <laughs> and and we know my son has right yeah uh, which you know i think it's almost for him now an extra challenge it's like dad game on yeah right cuz then i'm going to do a podcast dad on like how i defeated all your parental controls <laughs> well, i've invited him on actually well you know um I was listening to your podcast in preparation for this, and I was speaking to my therapist who told me that this teen age is full of, like, hormones as well as at this age they're full of exhibitionism and voyeurism. And then having a phone in your hand will offer immediate gratification for that. So in our day, and we're all about the same age here, in our day, if you wanted to send somebody a nudie picture, you'd have to get out the camera, like, take it to the Walgreens, get it developed, and they wouldn't develop it. I mean – it's just so different. Well, it's, it's instantaneous. Just so yes. So I think the fact that it is instantaneous is one of the game changers, right? Because you don't have the even 10 seconds to double, you know, think it through and say, wait, maybe this is not a great idea before I click send because it is, you know, instant gratification. You get that dopamine effect from the likes and the shares and how many comments. And if a certain kind of photo gets 100 comments, you know, and you want more Likes or comments, you're going to get more provocative, more interesting, um, and see how how much more you can push a boundary because that is what teenagers do. Okay, we're going to take a break. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. Okay, so speaking of boundaries, so you and your husband sit there and you listen, and how you always seem on the podcast a little more shocked and saying, like, wait, go back. I want to hear that again. Whereas I think David probably obviously hears it a lot. Right. That is so, the difference. Yeah. And that's the difference. So how do you sometimes, when you're listening to these teens tell you these things, how do you sort of keep your cool? I don't. 
right? <laughs> I mean, look, you've heard the podcast, and um, one of our episodes is called uh, Teen Sexting. Flipping out is not the answer. And we got that name because we had a guest talking about it, and I flipped out, yeah. right? And and I can tell you that is not the best answer. And, and this really goes to one of the great things about the podcast, if you listen to it, which is that that was the first time I had really heard about sexting by 14, 15-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And so I was shocked. Now, when I have to deal with it as a parent, I hope I don't, mm-hmm. but in some fashion it may materialize, I will be a better prepared parent because I understand what these kids are doing. I know where to look. I understand um, different perspectives. We did one episode with boys on the boys' perspective. Yes, that was, yes. And then that prompted more email than I could keep up with asking for one on girls. So we then did a girl's perspective. And then we had an expert come on. Like, I was shocked. Um, There's a couple of things I took away from that is that I, I believe that you said to, I think it was the boys, you said, for our generation, this is the one thing about technology we don't understand. We can understand being addicted to our phone or even like if you like to play Angry Birds or your Xbox or a lot of these technological things we as adults can understand that the kids are addicted to. And it's the last thing before bed and first thing in the morning and when you're at a stoplight. And as adults, we can understand that. But really what we as adults are not grasping is a 13, 14-year-old taking pictures of their nude body and sending it. And for us our age, and we are the guinea pigs of this, of this, with the kids first coming into being teenagers, that, I mean, for us, it's shocking. So what, one thing I found super interesting was the girls said, similarly across the board, they do not want to get these penis pictures. That's right. They, and I, I'm a 50-year-old woman. I don't want to get a penis picture. And, but they feel like they have to get one to send one back because it's almost like collateral back and forth. Yeah, so there's clearly pressure yeah. uh, to to respond, to send back the pic, um, to, you know, and, and I, it's interesting, my son is, is 13, he may be a little bit too young for the episode about the girl's perspective on sexting, it's mm-hmm. graphic, and yet I made him sit down and I made him listen to this episode with me and get across these key points, which are that you do not pressure a First of all, you, pressure, you don't pressure anybody, but you don't pressure a young woman to send you a pic. If you get an answer of no, the conversation ends. And anything beyond that is like a digital variation on like sexual harassment. Yes. We don't do that. Uh, and then also I wanted I wanted him to hear all these girls say, no, I don't want a picture of your dick. Yeah. And so I said, like, when it comes time to ask that first girl out. Like, let me suggest that a dick pic's not the way. Yes. Why don't you ask them to go to Starbucks or, you know, send a picture of your beagle? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I wanted to, him to hear that. And then also him to hear how they felt pressured. That, you know, they felt there was a more bigger reputational stigma to not sending the naked picture. Shocking. Than actually sending it and being called, you know, loose, fast, whatever. That there's so much pressure to do it. They also suggested, all the young women, that this is routine and part of high school. Totally that, like, no big deal. And it was interesting, too, the boys that you interviewed said, the 14-year-old said he was like 50% of people he knew did it. And then when you got to the uh, high school senior boy, 17, 18, he said, he goes, 80% of people do it. And, again, if you're the parent that thinks, my kid would never do that. 
well, you're wrong because, I mean, 80% of the kids are doing it. And the kids that you've had on, I want to explain to my listeners, the kids you've had on will all say, I'm in the student government, I'm head of the crew team, I'm straight A's, I'm honorable. So these are not like the 'er ne'er-do-wells running in the main streets. I mean, these are our kids. These are our kids that you hope you're raising responsible, respectful kids. You know, I do want to be clear, like, these are not statistically significant. These are not surveys. We bring on guests and they give their anecdotal experience. And then we do discuss surveys. And of course, our kids that we interview are generally from the uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Mm-hmm. So some have traveled from as much as far an hour away, but it's still this area. So I don't want to, you know, I, I don't know what the percentages are. I really don't. Um, but they are higher than we believe. And to your point, it, it's, it really is. It's, it's every kid. It is the college-oriented, I think I'm going to Yale, all the way to I'm going to community college or no college now at all, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting, too, in one of your discussions. You were talking with them about the internet being forever and the whole thing that happened. It was Harvard, right, where the yes. kids, they went on to like a Harvard Facebook page and sort of bashed it or they were saying some racist things. And they all got their um, letter taken back. Right. Can you imagine – working your whole life to go to a school like Harvard, and then you make one stupid mistake on a Facebook page. I mean, I can't imagine it's devastating for the child. It's devastating for the parent. It's devastating for all their friends. And it's such a huge lesson, but it seems... And and listen, again, I was a dumb teenager too. It just seems like a lesson that maybe doesn't sink in. And it's like you're saying, it's so fast that they don't have time to think about it a little bit. I do think it's starting to sink in. And that's what I'm hearing from teenagers now. And so that that particular story with Harvard was about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. What's so interesting is that that took place in a private Facebook group. So it wasn't a public Facebook page. It was a private group for students who were admitted to Harvard. Then they created a subgroup. And this subgroup was about offensive memes. And the fact is, the memes, they did a competition. They posted memes that were outrageous by any objective standard, offensive, outrageous, inappropriate, racist, horrible. They were never meant for a larger group. But what occurred is, and which is a great lesson, is that another student in the Facebook private group took screenshots and sent it to admissions. Mm -hmm. And then 10 kids had their acceptances to Harvard rescinded. And so there's a lesson there that it's not just about what's public. It's that when you have an Instagram page or you're Finsta with 200 people or 100 people, anything you post can potentially um, be screenshot, shared, copied, you lose control. And so under thinking about, you know, take that 10 seconds, pause. Should I post it? Would my grandma be able to see it? Right. Remember, there's no delete button on the internet. It will be permanent. It will be public. And make sure that's the image you want to portray. Well, you said about the Finsta. And I think that um, a couple of years ago, one of my daughter's friends, the mom said, did you know, named her daughter, has had Instagram since sixth grade? And I said, they have all had Instagram since sixth grade. This mom had not a clue. Now they're in 10th grade. That her didn't even know that her kid had an Instagram. She wasn't shocked or upset. She just said, oh, how funny. I didn't even know. Because the parents, those parents themselves weren't too much into technology. So it didn't occur to them to check. And that's no slight on them. Good for them. They probably live a more peaceful life if they're not so into technology. But now they've got three kids and they really need to sort of play a huge game of catch up. And definitely they know about the Rinsta, the real Insta, but they 
for sure don't know about the Finsta, the fake Insta. And I was explaining to someone in the car yesterday, the real Insta is what you would want your grandma to see or somebody in college. And the Finsta is fake Insta, which is you have a very small group. Then I heard about on your podcast for the first time, Savage Insta which is just a few people. I'd never heard that either, but that is a newer thing where it's a smaller group of people and you get even more personal um, or even more negative, right? That's where you and your close group of friends are really bashing others. Uh, And even there, you know, you never know when that... I don't get it. Why not just send your friend a text back and forth, your one friend, if you are trying to talk shit about your other friend? Why put it on a savage Insta where you've got 10 people in your group, but one person gets mad at you and decides to go and screenshot all the crap you said? I mean, I I guess it does go into the whole frontal lobe, not not being able to think it forward a little bit. I gotta say, uh, adults don't always model the best behavior. Sure. And so... I mean, look, there are a lot of stories about adults sexting, right? Yeah. Congressman Wiener, for example, who's no longer a congressman. And when we look at what people post um, on comment sections on public-facing websites and reputable websites about news stories and you know the tone of the discourse and the things people say, I mean, they are seeing some pretty horrible behavior from a lot of adults. Um, true, that's and true. I think you know that. That's and I've had them. I've had teenagers come back and say to me like. I know you want to lecture me, but uh, like look online. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And you do have a whole episode about modeling good behavior. It's so funny. You know, my kids will be like, my friend so-and-so follows you on Instagram. I go, great. Let them follow me. What am I posting? Silly pictures of me out with my friends like at dinner or, you know, twirling in the street on a boomerang that I'm like so happy I figured out how to use. I go, you know, sure, all your friends can follow me, you know, and and I'm like, I don't have a Finsta. Right. You know, what would I post? I mean, so, uh, you know, it is just such a different world. And I, I really can't tell my listeners enough how much they need to listen to this podcast. You talked about your friend, though. At one point I would make for parents is that I want to just make this point that when you decide it is the right time for your child to have a smartphone mm-hmm. and there's no particular age or grade, look at your child, you know, approach it as if it's a tool, not a toy. And that means you understand the tool. In particular, you understand that if you do not control the administrative rights to that device, they have access to hundreds of thousands of apps that are social media and things that you wouldn't dream of and wouldn't understand and that you want to understand while your kid is navigating this digital world, what kinds of apps are they downloading? Mm-hmm. You want to under, you know, you want to show them and teach them about the privacy and security settings on the device. You want to talk to them about location. And so if you give them permission to have an app and that app has a location feature, do they understand that they're being tracked? And yeah, what like that means? the snap, uh, the snap, snap map. Yep. Um, yes, that that's a very, very good point. I have on my kids' phones, if they download any app, it comes to my phone and I have to approve it with a fingerprint. Now, my son will every so often send me something and I'll it, now if it's like, you know, Mario bumper cars, I'm like, sure, age four and up, fine. But if it's something in itself age 12 and up and I've never heard of it and it's clearly not like an NBA 2K game, right. I'll just go and look and I'll look on Common Sense Media app, which is a really good one for parents. And I'll look and it'll say, mm, not so great. This is sort of like a burn book where you could go on and write anything about anybody and it's anonymous. Those apps. Bad, bad, bad. And I'm like, nope, we're not doing that. 
we're not doing and he says everybody does it I said no you don't want to see what somebody wrote about you and you certainly don't need to go on there and just be slamming people anonymously no we're not doing that, that recent? You know? I haven't seen, I have to look into that app yeah it's pretty recent huh. there's there's more than one of those and there well I know there yeah. used to be social media like that like a, a site called uh, Yik Yak yep where it was truly anonymous mm-hmm. and you know this is another point about the internet we all need to appreciate which is that the the perceived anonymity and the fact that our children are looking at a screen and not a person's face or their eyes when they post means that they are more inclined to say things and post things that they would never say to anyone face to face. Yeah. And that creates a whole separate set of challenges. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, we're back. Now, I have just a, sort of on that, what we were just talking about. One teen boy said he know ki- he knows kids who send nudes to total strangers, and they get something in return. Now, again, I'm 50 years old. I'm like, what do they get in return? Are they? Of course, I'm like, are they getting like a Target gift card? Like, I'm not even trying to be funny. What are they getting in return by, say, a teen, like, just say a 17-year-old girl Total stranger, ask her for a nude. She's getting something in return. What did you, how did you hear that? So that was obviously a rather disturbing discussion um, to hear that teenagers have discovered that if they need money or something else, there's a market for their photos. Uh, And my sense was they were using various payment apps to anonymously send and receive uh, various kinds of financial like Venmo, like somebody will Venmo you 20 yeah. bucks if you send them a nudie picture? Yes. I, okay, my mouth is hanging open, and you're not supposed to have dead air on a podcast, but I I can't. Okay. Yeah, so that was me on my podcast yeah. <laughs> when that came up, and we we, um, we really abbreviated that discussion. Um, I don't I don't want to suggest that that is routine. Right. Um, I don't think it is, but you think about it, and you these kids are, not, are smart, and they've discovered that, wow, there is a market for this. And so um, some of them have done it. Okay. So on your podcast, you cover tech issues. You do screen time, which I think Apple, on the new phones, they I mean, on the new iOS, they have, um, they'll tell you how much screen time exactly. you have. And I think that's pretty good. And then social media, of course, which is like, to me, is sort of all-encompassing sexting, which we've touched on here, privacy, which I think that, you know, is, it's murky, and then gaming. Now, of these issues... Were, is the sexting one the one that has sort of stunned you the most, or have there been other issues that have stunned you more than what we've learned about the the nude pictures? Because that's what stunned me the most. Well, I, here's what I would say, is that it, it's not even that 
the sexting itself stunned me as much as, as a general matter, here's what uh, has surprised me as a parent. And I, and I got to say, doing this podcast has made me a better dad, and that's cool. It is the age at which this is all occurring. Okay. I think that, for me, is the biggest shock. And so I was all ready to be super cool dad, and when my kid turned 15 or 16, had this awesome discussion about the entire world, and here's what I did as a teen, and here's what you may experience. I was all ready for that. I didn't think it had to come at 12 uh-huh. or 13. Right. But I think because of social media and digital content and access to YouTube and all of this other media, um, these kids are getting the information far earlier. Um, one of our guests, Dr. Michael Rich from uh, Boston Children's Hospital, top expert, suggested that the average age the boys are first experiencing online porn is nine. Oh, my God. And so... For me, the biggest surprise around this is the is the age at which a lot of these things are starting, including cyberbullying, including sexting, including um, feeling of anxiety, online peer pressure, exclusion. It, it is starting in middle school, and that's a really young age, right? For most of us, middle school just sucked. Yeah. I mean, middle school, it, those are brutal years. It's awkward. And so to introduce, right, the entire world of the internet, 12 and 13 year olds and expect them to navigate this with some level of maturity is absurd. It's not going to happen. They're going to mimic what they're seeing older teens do. They're going to mimic what they see others do, what they read about. Uh, and so I think that was my biggest surprise is that by all accounts from all our guests, sexting is starting in eighth grade. I spoke to a middle school principal who said to me that she is dealing with sexting every single week in middle school, not to mention other kinds of thing, uh, things happening on social media, inappropriate groups and memes and, and all that goes with it. Well, you mentioned the school, and I was going to ask you, so in my kids' school, both of them at one point or another had their phone taken away at school because they had it out in class or, you know, and then, you know, you've got some teachers that'll say, we don't care if they have it out. It's fine. And then you have some teachers, you know, and I've told my son, like when he makes a joke that he thinks it's hilarious for a seventh grade boy, but I'm a 50 year old mom and I don't want to hear that joke. I'll say to him all the time, know your audience, like know your audience. Mom is not your audience for that joke. And you're gross. And same with school, like know your audience. Like, did your teacher say it's cool for you to just have your phone out. No, well, you got it taken away. Well, too bad. You can't get it back till Friday. I'll be there on Friday to pick it up. And they're so upset. Like, you have to go to the school and get it. I'm like, no. Yeah, you know, I'm with you. You made a mistake. And so it's taken away. I am and with you. Also, it's a punishment for me because now I can't get in touch with my kid. But so. Sometimes it's a blessing. Yes. <laughs> so for the schools and you talk to a principal, for me, I, I wish and I know that this is easier said than done. I wish the schools would say, no phone when you get here until you leave. And it kind of brings me to the point of the one girl on your podcast that said, if she had a wish, she wished that all technology would stop at 7 p.m. Wasn't that amazing? That made me really sad. So I thought, it's, it's interesting that you honed in on that because so did I. Yeah. And I thought that was insightful. But what a lesson for parents about what our kids are dealing with. So think about when we were teens, right? A lot of teen angst, it's the same, right? Peer pressure and navigating social issues and there's teasing and bullying and all kinds of things that are negative, right? But I left school at 3 p.m. and you're done with it, right? And so that's it. But what is clear is that for our kids, this is constant 24-7, 
it is always there and always on, which means that those social situations, that anxiety, that peer pressure comes home with you and it can reach you in your most private and safe places like your home and your bedroom or wherever you are because it never stops. Right. And even if you shut off your phone, other kids are still on there making posts. So now you have FOMO, fear of missing out. So it is that, it is for me, it is that sort of con- constant need to be connected that that young woman was reacting to and that most teens are reacting to. It is not in and of itself that we have a Finsta account that's the problem. And I expect poor judgment about posts. I have posted things that I regretted and had to take down. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. It is this feeling that they are compelled to be on 24-7, seven days a week, to constantly monitor or fear being the one talked about or fear missing out. I wish we could shut this off for our kids at 7 p.m. Well, you know, my kids, I have always said, okay, no, no phones in your bedroom at night, you know, or whatever. It's kind of the same as what my mom said when I was, you know, 12, like, no TV in your room. Like, I don't care if your best friend has the one. Same rules. You know, the same yep. thing. So for a long time, and you had a, um, a cyber expert on talking about this, for a long time we had, like, just leave the phones in the kitchen. Well, then there's a workaround because once you fall asleep, your kid can go back to the kitchen and get it. Or if they have a sleepover, they all run down and get their phones. And you had a guy on who was a cyber expert who said he had a kid that they finally had to at night turn off their router. But once they went yep. to sleep, the kid would turn <laughs> the router back on. Then they said, okay, we'll work around that. We're going to unplug the router. Then the kid would plug the router back in, wait for it to boot up until they finally started sleeping in the bed with the router so that the kid could not get to the router to turn it back on to activate their Wi-Fi. And it's funny, but it's I, I myself have gone to these ridiculous links. Like now my daughter has to put her uh, computer and her phone and everything plugged in next to me so that if she's going to try to sneak around and come and get it, she has to come past me and I'm a light sleeper. My son is just a different animal. He's like, sure, leaves it all in the basement, comes upstairs, goes to bed. Two different, totally different kids. Yep. One's trying to work around. One maybe isn't quite there yet. But that's another thing I would say to parents. Like, there's no reason for them to have it in their room. Oh, they want to li- they want to listen to music or whatever. Well, I got both of my kids and Alexa in their room. They can listen to music. They have sound machines. You know, I, Listen, I am on a constant on my toes trying to work around everything they're trying to work around. And it is exhausting. It is exhausting for parents. And I think that we have to – the most important thing we can do as parents is to constantly communicate with our kids. Yes. To engage with them. And that also means engaging online. And so – and again, I didn't come to the podcast with some of these notions. I am the strict parent in our house. Um, that sort of comes across on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a believer in you set expectations. If they're not met, there are consequences. Um, you know, all of those things. But, you know, we also, I'm starting to learn, like, there's no there's no getting around this, right? Like, then your kid goes to school, he's on the bus, he's looking at the same material with his friends on the bus or at other people's homes, right? We have to role model and share our values, but understand they're going to get get around it. And so, I really have done things like sat down with my son and said, okay, let's do your YouTube experience. Like, what are you, what are, what are you watching? And, um, you know, he, he, he's big to, he follows a bunch of YouTubers who yes. basically they've made a career making millions by doing incredibly stupid things on YouTube. Or they watch YouTubers watching YouTube or watch YouTubers playing, playing video yes. games. So that's the other thing my yeah. son does, right, yeah. is you watch the gamers. Um, and so in a way, like that was an interesting experience for me to get a vision into his world, 
talk about what he's watching, make sure he is not watching it so he's getting ideas of what he can do. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah, you can giggle at this, but you're not going to jump off the roof, right? We're not going to skateboard off the roof, right? Yeah, right, yeah. right. And so engaging in that way has been pretty positive as well as, um, okay, so he's into Fortnite, so it wasn't top of my list, but I now learned to play Fortnite. You did. My son tried to get my husband. He was like, after a little bit, he was like, you know what? <laughs> this is, I'll sit here with you and watch you play this. But, but you know, the Fortnite, he comes and goes with it, but he's very into NBA 2K. And I've said to him a million times, like, are you playing with strangers? Are these like creepy old men in their basement trying to get you to send him a picture? And my son's like, what are you talking about? Like, it's just my friends. It's so-and-so's cousin. I'm like, you better make sure it's so-and-so's cousin. And and we're the same way. We have very open conversations and things that my kids say to me, I would have probably even now never say to my parents. Like, so so embarrassing. For sure. My kids are super open with, you know, talking about their bodies and all this. And so I'd rather have it that way than to be like, you know, I'm 50 and I don't know if my mom still knows I had sex. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, we never talked about anything. So... It is good in a way that, or you have the parents are just sort of like me. When I was listening to this podcast, I was a little bit like, ah, la, 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 I don't want to know. You know, we can't do that. But that's when I went yeah. into listening to your podcast and I told Richard, my producer, I went into it thinking, I don't even want to know because I feel like I know, but now I know so Let much me put more. this thought into your listeners' minds about not, about ignoring it all, which is, um, and this is not comfortable, but you know, Think about if your son or daughter learns about sex and relationships from pornography online. Mm -hmm. That is not how I want my son to learn about um, a healthy sexual relationship and how we treat people and respect people, um, particularly not at 13. And yet we know that the content is accessed, that it may not be on his computer, but you put a VPN on somebody else's computer and they can access it and the older brothers are giving it to them. And so that alone is it got me to think like, okay, they're not engaging is not an option because we are seeing teenagers um, and this generation increasingly having difficulty with relationships. Face to face. Yeah, they're yeah. not dating. So it's true that it is true that sex, teen sex is down and we can say that's great. Um, but so is face to face interaction. And, and so that's maybe not great. And to the extent that um, internet interactions or looking at online porn is replacing that, I don't view that as a positive. And so we should talk to our kids about, yes, it's there. And there are not, I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of videos of every single flavor you can't imagine, actually. That's not how I want my child to learn about relationships. So we engage. Yep. Yep. And I think that that's a great note to end this on because that is the huge takeaway from your podcast is it is uncomfortable and we don't really want to know, but we have to know because these are the members of society we're bringing up. And while we all feel in, in our own way, we're doing a great job and this, that and the other. It doesn't matter really what a great job you're doing because all the other influences are what's Absolutely. being heard. So we need to to listen to the outside influences in addition to our own. So, again, I want to tell all my listeners that it's tough to listen to, but and it's this it's is fun not, to you sometimes, it's right? Not, yeah, it's this not was so, a serious discussion today, yes. but we have fun. We laugh at ourselves. It's not so heavy that you're like, oh, doom and gloom. It's it's a fun conversation. They have experts on and they have the teens on. And, and kudos to the teens who are so 
open as well. Are they awesome? Yeah, they're awesome. Um, so tell my listeners where they can find out more about their own devices and about you and David. Sure, yeah. Their own devices, it's on eight or nine of the top platforms. And so wherever you listen to your podcasts, I think you'll find it there. Okay. Obviously, Google Podcasts and iTunes and Spotify and and and, and the like. Um, we don't have a website yet, but we will. But our bios are on a podglomerate's website. Uh, so if you Google our names, Mark Groman or David Reitman, their own devices, you will find us, you will find our bios. I'm on LinkedIn. In fact, I'm all over the internet. People are shocked that I'm a <laughs> privacy guy, but I'm all over social media. And and I hope um, we also have a, an email and people write to us and we get some of our ideas uh, from our listeners who give us thoughts and questions. And it's been eye-opening for us, really eye-opening. Okay. Well, I've loved it. And people can find me on social media, Pain in the Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And, you know, if you can be really nice to give me five stars on a review, that really helps as well. So thank you again to Mark. Thank you.